Well, hello, ABC. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we got a great service ahead, looking at King Josiah. Jake's going to be preaching for us in just a minute. But I wanted to mention a couple of things coming up that we're really excited about. First is we have a new cafe on campus that'll be opening in the new year. It's called Sunroom Coffee. And it's our old station in the front of the student center that you may have uh, remembered or seen. Um, we're gonna have that open during the lunch hour for students that are coming off of campus and also after school for kids that just need a place to hang out. Um, it's a great out outreach opportunity for students in our area and it's a beautiful space. Um, the team's been working really hard on that. And so we wanted to let you know that we're gonna have a sneak peek um, of the Sunroom Cafe on Christmas Eve. So if you come to our Christmas Eve services, um, you can come a little bit early, pop into the Sunroom Cafe. It's gonna be open and you can get some hot chocolate or some coffee, some other things they have in there and uh, then come out and enjoy our Christmas Eve services. We are having two services that night on Friday, December 24th, um, both at 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. The five o'clock service is gonna have uh, kids care for um, four years old and younger. And then all the other kids were just inviting to come on into the service with us. In fact, you can bring all your kids, even if they are four years or younger, um, because we're gonna have a few just fun activities for them, uh, uh, Christmas story reading, some interactive things and video and whatnot um, that I think the kids will really enjoy. So we're really excited about uh, Christmas Eve. It's one of my favorite services of the year. We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, read the Christmas story, have some amazing music, um, some fun videos and other things. So we would love for you to join our family here at ABC that evening. And uh, the next day or two days later on Sunday the 26th, um, we will be having services that day. Um, if uh, you want to tune in online, we will post the video um, for the service that day in the morning like we typically do. But on campus, we have an in indoor service at 8 o'clock and an outdoor service at 1045, Sunday, December 26th. Um, have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Uh, we're going to jump right on into the message, and I'm going to pray right now for Jake as he um, jumps in. Father, we're so thankful for this season that we get to celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ as we look back at the story of Josiah and see um, some of the shadows of the coming king, um, Lord, may we think um, and pray and enjoy um, your word this, this Christmas. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in and Merry Christmas. We're so happy that you're with us. I just wanted to run a couple updates by you. Um, first, Queen Elizabeth is back in Windsor Palace after she had a mysterious health scare. It was just a little while back. Uh, she was in the hospital briefly, but she's back now. She seems to be healthy. Also unrelated to the health scare, but Barbados has officially cut ties from Britain rule. Um, so big things happening there. They've removed Queen Elizabeth as head of state. They've become their own republic. And they also named Rihanna, the singer, as a national hero. So that's cool. Um, a lot going on. She'll keep shining bright like a diamond there. Um, a lot going on. But I'll try to keep you updated. Um, I say that because the message today is about royalty. And I don't think we think a lot about kings and queens or monocratic rule at all. It's just obviously not part of our daily life, right? And we can't forget that as a nation, we have a pretty complicated relationship with monarchs in general. Um, lest we forget that we exist as uh, America because we rebelled against a king, right? You remember that? You weren't there. Uh, either way, I want to talk today about two kings who lived 600 years apart in the ancient Middle East. So it was about 15 generations before Jesus lay in the manger. 
Israel was in the season of kings. If you read through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, king after king, they just couldn't seem to get it right. There were glimmers of hope with good kings like Asa and Hezekiah that we read about, but those good kings were few and far between. It reads more like this. Abijah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and then the next generation comes. Nadab did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, and then the next generation comes. Basha did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Elah, Zimri, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he sinned more than all those before him. Again and again and again. But then there was one king. He was one of the youngest to ever rule. His name was Josiah. If you've got your Bible, flip to 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. I'm not going to read uh, from it word for word, but just so you're acquainted with where it's at, and I'll kind of breeze through the story of Josiah. So he took the throne when he was eight years old, and he ruled for 31 years. There's that kind of baseball card line about Josiah. It just says this, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. When he was about 16, it says that he began to seek the God of his fathers. When he was 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of all the high places and the idols and the images, the ashram. He chopped down the altars, the bales, and he cut down the incense altars. He brought them down to a dust, and then he scattered the dust over the graves of the priests and the people who offered sacrifices to these false gods. He was in a rage of holy indignation. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars and he cleansed, just completely cleansed Judah and Jerusalem of, of false worship, of idolatry. And he did the same thing in all the surrounding cities. And it keeps going. When he was 26, this is huge, he repaired the temple. While the workers were working on the temple, it says that someone named Hilkiah found the book of the law of the Lord that he had given through Moses. And when the king heard the words of the law, it says that he tore his clothes, like he was heartbroken. He told his men to go inquire of the Lord because his wrath ought to be great against them for not keeping the words of the law. I mean, if these words in this law are true, right? He says, if these words are true, then this God that this book speaks of, he must be furious with us because we have fallen so far from obedience. So they went to Huldah, a prophetess, and she said this, thus says the Lord, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants because they have forsaken me and made offerings to other gods. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah who sent you, she's referring to Josiah, thus says the Lord, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me, and you've torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers. You shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. Then he got everybody together. Josiah got everybody together, and he read all the words of the book of the covenant. And then he renewed that covenant. He made a covenant before the Lord to walk after him and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul. It says all his days, all of Josiah's days, they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their father. And then in 2 Chronicles 35, it just, it shows that he keeps the Passover. He kept the Passover and he called the priests to holy service once again. He put the musicians in their spots, descendants of Asaph, and they played again in the places that, that were prescribed by David. 
So it says this, At that time, the entire service of the Lord was carried out for the celebration of the Passover, an offering of burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord. The Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel, and none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah. Not long after that, he died in battle around the age of 39. Josiah lived a fascinating and inspiring life. And we'll talk about what this means for Christmas in just a minute. But first, what did Josiah do? Just by way of summary recap, what was it that Josiah, this um, uniquely righteous king in this web, this stream of evil and wickedness, this uniquely righteous king, what did he do? Number one, he purified his people. When he was 16, he began to seek the God of his fathers. And when he was 20, he began to just purge them of evil and idolatry and false worship. He looked around and just saw how far his people had strayed. And so as he uncovered these stories and and scriptures of the one true God, then he looked around and he saw all these cheap imitations. He saw idols made of wood and stone and metal, made by human hands and then bowed down to by humans. He saw shrines where people would literally sacrifice their kids to false gods. And he was furious. He tore it all down. He burned it to the ground. But as he burned it to the ground, he wasn't just destroying these things. He was redeeming this people. He was purifying them. He was cleaning their slate and giving them a second chance. See, because Josiah was a righteous king, by his righteousness, his people began to regain their purity and their calling as the set-apart people of God. Number one, he purified his people. Number two, Josiah reestablished the Passover. What's the Passover? It was a Jewish feast they celebrated every year to remember what God did for his people in Egypt. When every firstborn child in Egypt in the last plague was going to be killed, remember God told the people of Israel to kill a sacrificial lamb and then to smear the blood over their doorposts so then God's wrath would pass over them because they were covered by the blood of their lamb. It was an act of remembrance for them every year, an anchor point for the faith of Israel. When they celebrated Passover, They were declaring together that God has been faithful before. Look at what he did in Egypt. Look at what he continues to do. So we believe he's going to be faithful in the future. We'll continue to follow him in faith. But so many of the kings before Josiah neglected this. And to miss Passover wasn't just to skip some cheap formality. It was to neglect one of the most fundamental markers of their covenant relationship with God. Skipping Passover was a huge deal. And when he reestablished Passover, it says nobody did it like him. He made a big deal out of it. Nobody kept Passover like Josiah did. Number three, he renewed the old covenant. So Josiah is just heartbroken and fed up with the idea that, man, they had fallen so far from the graces of God. So he just draws a line in the sand and he recommits to the covenant that God first gave through Moses. He repents saying, God, I'm sorry. We had this relationship with you, this covenant of blessing and favor and protection, and all we had to do was to follow you, to submit to your loving rule, but we squandered it. God, we're sorry. We want another try. We want to try again. You renewed the old covenant. Here's the point. Josiah did some really, really good things, some really righteous things. But all of this was only for a moment. The prophetess, Huldah, was right. She said, 
yeah, sure, Josiah, he's going to reign for a while and he's going to reign in righteousness and the people will be um, protected and restored because of that. But ultimately, destruction is still coming. See, then what happened? Immediately after Josiah died, his 23-year-old son, we read Jehoahaz, he reigned for three months before being deposed. And what did he do? It says, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Don't miss this. Everything Josiah worked for for 31 years unraveled in three months. Everything he did for 31 years, restoring the purity of his people, reestablishing the Passover, renewing this covenant with God, 31 years of hard work, of blood, sweat, and tears for his people and for his God just crumbles in three months. Back to square one. There were three more kings to follow, all who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then 2 Chronicles ends like this. It says, the Lord kept sending them his messengers because he, he just, he wanted to keep trying. He had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Listen to those last few words, chilling, until there was no remedy. That's the first king. Now fast forward 600 years and the second king was born. This king ruled even younger than the first. It's interesting because some of his great-great-grandpas were kings, but his dad wasn't a king. His dad was a carpenter. It was a miracle that he was even born because the king at the time was a guy named King Herod. And when he heard that a new king was supposed to be born, he literally went insane. In a wicked rage of sick paranoia, he had every baby boy killed. But I think what Herod didn't know is that this new king wasn't new at all, was he? He had always been the king. It wasn't that he was just going to be some baby born into a royal family and then bred as a warrior and raised up to come defeat Herod and take the throne of Rome. That was never it at all. This newborn king was king long before Herod was ever born. He was king before Josiah turned eight and took the throne. He was king before Nadab and Omri and Zimri and Elah, before Asa and Hezekiah. He was king before all the kings. He was king before the judges, before the patriarchs, before Jacob, before Isaac, even before Abraham he was. Before this king was born in Bethlehem, he was the firstborn over all creation, Colossians 1 says. It says he was before all things, and in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created through this king and for this king. He is the heir of all things through whom God made the universe. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the word of his power. This king was king over all the angels. He was king over all the prophets. The angels just minister to him and for him. The prophets just speak of him, but he is the king and he's always been the king. John 1 says, this king was the word at the beginning. He was the light that shone in the darkness. Revelation 1 says he's the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of all kings on earth, literally the king over all kings. He was king for eternity past. He'll be king for eternity future. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come, Revelation 21 says. Hebrews 1 says that his throne will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of his kingdom. 
Abraham Kuyper said, There is not a square inch over the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. That's mine. I have dominion over that. I rule and reign over that. See, Herod didn't know this wasn't just another king. This was entirely different. This moment, this was the fullness of God wrapped in skin and bone. The king of eternity finally come to inaugurate his kingdom. And you can try all you want to stop that. But it's no use when the king of eternity wants to make his appearance in the flesh. He just wouldn't be stopped. Ironically, though, he was born to be killed. Though Herod wouldn't live to see it. But that's where we see the heart of this king on full display. Not only is he a king of power and of glory, but he's lowly and gentle. A king of mercy and kindness and suffering and sacrifice. But this was foreshadowed on this night. Though he was in the form of God. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Everything points to him. Every story, every victory, every bit of glory and honor and nobility, every prophet, every king, it was just a shadow of our king, Jesus. It all points to him. When they killed him, they put a sign over his head that read, this is the king of the Jews. And they thought they were mocking him, remember? But if they only knew that this was the king of the universe, of all of eternity, what did King Jesus do? Well, a lot of similar things to Josiah, um, but, but with a twist or two. One, he purified his people. What did Jesus do? He purified his people. He made purity and righteousness possible for us. He did that at one definitive point, and yet he continues to do that, to purify and to refine us, to sanctify us, the New Testament calls it. He cleanses us by his spirit from sinful attachments and addictions, and he tears down our idols and our misplaced loyalties. 1 Corinthians 6, this, that you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And at the same time, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Listen to that interesting verbiage there. By a single offering, he has perfected, so he did it. It's done. For all time, those who are being sanctified. So there's also process. We're still becoming. We're being sanctified. We are purified, made righteous by Jesus. And at the same time, he continues to purify us and to refine us, to peel back the rough edges and prune us and make us the people he wants us to be. Number one, he purified his people. Number two, um, now Josiah, he reestablished the Passover. What Jesus did, don't miss this, he fulfilled the Passover. 
Remember, this was God telling the people of Israel to kill a sacrificial lamb and smear the blood over their doorposts. Gory, I know. So then God's wrath would pass over them because they were covered by the blood of their lamb. Now let's fast forward to the week Jesus died. And it was the first day of that Passover celebration. We read in the Gospels that Jesus gets his disciples together and they get this room ready. They get everything prepared for the normal Passover meal. And then Jesus takes the bread and they eat it together and he takes the wine and they drink it together. But in all Gospel accounts, we don't read anything about them sacrificing a lamb like they normally would. And then Jesus says, it's me. Jesus comes out with this this shocking idea, I'm the Passover lamb. It's me. It's all about me. It's, all, it's always been me. And it all pointed to me. I, I'm the lamb. I'm the sacrifice. It's my blood that's going to be spilled. And then as you put your faith in me, the wrath of God will pass over you because you are covered by the blood of the lamb. It was always about me. It was always just a shadow. Paul affirms Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus fulfilled the Passover. Number three, where Josiah renewed the old covenant, and he wouldn't call it the old covenant, it was just the covenant. That was it. That was the covenant between God and Moses. That was it for the people of Israel, and Josiah renewed it. What did Jesus do? He established the new covenant. New covenant. Why why would you need a new covenant? See, Josiah was heartbroken when he realized just how far his people had strayed from God's law and he tore his clothes and he recommitted to the covenant God gave to Moses. And a covenant is just, it was this system of laws and offerings and feasts that was their way of relating to God, their way of experiencing his presence and attaining righteousness. Think of covenant as just the way of relationship between people and God. Now, Jesus did something different. That same moment at the beginning of Passover, he takes the bread and the wine and he just creates the most shocking uh, physical illustration. And he lays out the most powerful idea. He says, this cup is my blood that's going to be spilled for you. And that will be the foundation of the new covenant. That's it. Now try to get into the heads of his disciples for just a second. What are they thinking? New covenant. I, I don't understand. New, what, why are you talking about a new covenant? This is about deliverance from Rome, from oppression. You're the Messiah, the long-awaited deliverer for the people of Israel. This is about our deliverance, about giving us back the promised land. The old covenant's fine. Why, Why? It's just the covenant. The Old Testament is the story of that old covenant, and the New Testament is the story of the new. And just imagine Jesus. No, it was all just a shadow. That was never the true form, Hebrews 10 says. It could never be that by the same sacrifices offered year after year, that they could ever make perfect those who draw near. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Yeah, I'm the Messiah, but I'm the mediator of a better covenant. This isn't about just deliverance from Rome. This is about deliverance from sin and darkness, freedom from death and hell. This is about the kingdom of God. That is your promised land by my blood, by my sacrifice. That will be how you relate to God, how you experience his presence, how you become righteous from this point forward. That's it. That's going to be the covenant. And it's new. And it's better. That's the new covenant. Jesus established the new covenant. 
See, Josiah was a really, really good king. He was a diamond in the rough throughout the, the sort of the, the web of Old Testament kings. Constantly doing evil, just never getting it right. And then Josiah stands up. He's noble and he's honorable. He fights for purity and for righteousness. He was a good king. But everything, every story, every victory, every king, every prophet, it was all just a shadow. A foreshadow pointing to Jesus. Because there has never been and there will never be a king like Jesus. I always feel like when we gather together and when we open up God's word and, and uh, some of us are speaking, um, I feel like there's there's a few chunks, uh, I guess categories of people. Nobody likes to be categorized, but I think we all maybe could self-identify in one of these um, few groups uh, of people. There, there's people here, a lot of you listening, you are, you are committed followers of Jesus. Man, you take your discipleship to Jesus very seriously. It is the, the marking, most important thing in your life. Um, there's a lot of those people in our church. Um, and to you, I just want to say, don't lose heart. The king is on his throne. Jesus rules and reigns, and, and he has not stopped ruling and reigning, and he won't stop. It, whatever it is for you in your life that, that might be arguing different than that, just would you take heart? Don't lose hope. The king is on his throne. But then there's a couple other, uh, I guess, groups of people that are, that are always seeming to be listening. And there's uh, one, we might call them casual attenders. You guys are here and, uh, you know, it's, um, you like a lot of things about Jesus. You like a lot of things about uh, being involved in a church or attending a church or, or watching church online. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for you to, to be affiliated with a church. Um, but but there's a lot about the fullness of God that you haven't quite grasped. Maybe there's a commitment level um, where, where you're not quite ready to, uh, to, to get rid of everything to follow Jesus. You're not quite ready to, to drop it all, leave it all behind so that you can follow Jesus. Um, and maybe of those versions that you like um, of Jesus, maybe King isn't one of them. Um, Maybe you've got just a lot of, you know, uh, birth of America baggage, like we rebel against kings. I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's a, there's a problem, uh, the idea of submitting to an authority like that. Um, I just want to encourage you that, that Jesus is either uh, king of all or he's not king at all. I heard someone say that a while ago. He is either Lord of all in your life or he's not Lord at all. In your life, I, I don't know who needs to hear that today, um, but he's the king. He he reigns supreme over every square inch of human existence, over the universe, um, and I I can't change that by disagreeing with it. I I can't like that is just that is reality. If there's one thing you hear me say today. Would it just be that? Just submit to King Jesus every square inch of your life. And I'm, I'm talking to myself here too. There's so many tendencies of my own, so many um, maybe areas where, uh, where I'm not submitting to the loving rule of King Jesus, but I'm submitting to the, the more tyrannical rule of something or someone else. 
and then there's a third group of people that are that are always seeming to be watching or listening, um, and I might call them just curious, uh, maybe seekers, maybe skeptics, maybe whatever. For some reason, you're here. Um, you're not completely bought into anything. Uh, for some reason, you're here. You're with somebody. We get a lot of them through the holidays. Um, would you just hear uh, that something or someone is ruling your life? Something or someone is. Please believe that. Jesus is a better king than whatever or whoever else is ruling your life. Whatever else has the throne, the, the reign in your life. And you might say, well, that's, no, 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 I, I do. Like, I, I do. Well, okay, well, even you, you we, are, we are tyrannical kings over ourselves because we're not as good. We're not as benevolent. We're not as loving. We're not as selfless. We're not as sacrificial. We're not as humble as King Jesus. There's just so many things about King Jesus. I mean, even if I'm saying I'm in charge, I, I rule my life. I, I'm the reigning force in my life. That's not a, that's not a place I want to be. And maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, maybe it's this habit or addiction. That's a tyrant in your life. You constantly make sacrifices to it. It constantly takes from you and doesn't give. It's a tyrannical king, but there is one. There is one, there's one option, one to submit to, one ruler, one reigning king who is good, and I mean good. He is benevolent. He uses his best for your good. He's humble. He's loving. He's all-powerful. Don't get me wrong. He is all-powerful. And rules forevermore. I mean, his kingdom lasts forever and ever. He stomped over darkness and death, demolished it. He is powerful, but he's gentle and he's lowly, self-sacrificing, faithful. And he's so good. There is no king like King Jesus. There's no ruler or reign like the reign of King Jesus. Please, please believe that today. I want to pray for us, um, and and before I do, I just really want to encourage you. Uh, we'd love to see you on campus um, this Friday night for our Christmas Eve services. It's going to be a really special time together. Uh, we've got two services at five and seven p.m. I uh, would really love to see you there in person. Uh, but let me pray for us, God. We want to be people who are more submitted to you as the King of Eternity, and we just see right now, Lord, that that every um, good king like Josiah, Lord, it was just a picture. It's just an incomplete shadow of what you ultimately fulfilled and brought completion to. You are the good, holy, righteous, benevolent king. And you are so worthy. God, together, I just pray that you would make us more wholly submitted to you and that your rule and your reign would cover every square inch of our lives. Every open space would just be covered by your kingship. That you would rule over our decisions. You'd rule over our priorities. Lord, the things we do, the things we say, would be as subjects to our king. Lord, it is a joy, a genuine joy to submit to you, to serve you. We love you. We just acknowledge that you uh, have reigned forever and you will reign forevermore. And so we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.